Chapter Thirteen of Ormond by Maria Edgeworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peary. Harry Ormond thought it hard to bear unmerited reproach and suspicion, found it painful to endure the altered eye of his once kind and always generous, and to him always dear friend and benefactor but ormond had given a solemn promise to white connell never to mention anything that had passed between them to o'shane and he could not therefore explain these circumstances of the quarrel conscious that he was doing right he kept his promise to the person he hated and despised at the hazard at the certainty of displeasing the man he most loved in the world and to whom he was the most obliged while his heart yearned with tenderness towards his adopted father he endured the reproach of ingratitude and while he knew he had acted perfectly honourably he suffered under the suspicion of equivocation and breach of confidence he bore it all and in reward he had the conviction of his own firmness and an experience upon trial of his adherence to his word of honour the trial may seem but trivial the promise but weak still it was a great trial to him and he thought the promise as sacred as if it had been about an affair of state it happened some days after the conversation had passed between him and o'shane that cornelius met otara the gentleman who had laid the bets about the cock-fight with connell and chancing to ask him what had prevented the intended battle otara told all he knew of the adventure being a good-natured and good-humoured man he stated the matter as playfully as possible acknowledged that they had all been foolish and angry but that harry ormond and moriarty had at last pacified them by proper apologies of what had passed afterwards of the bullying and the challenge and the submission otara knew nothing but king corney having once been put on the right scent soon made it all out he sent for moriarty and cross-questioning him heard the whole for moriarty had not been sworn to secrecy and had very good ears when he had been turned out of the stable he had retreated only to the harness-room and had heard all that had passed king corney was delighted with harry's spirit and now he was prince harry again and the generous warm-hearted cornelius went in impatience to seek him out and to beg his pardon for his suspicions he embraced him called him son and dear son said he had now found out no thanks to him connell's cause of complaint and it had nothing to do with dora but why could not you say so man he had said so repeatedly well so i suppose it is to be made out clearly to be all my fault that was in a passion and could not hear understand or believe well be it so if i was unjust i'll make it up to you for i'll never believe my own ears or eyes against you harry while i live depend upon it if i heard you asking her to marry you i would believe my ears brought me the words wrong if i saw you even leading her into the church instead of the chapel and the priest himself warning me of it i'd say and think father joss tis a mistake a vision or a defect of vision 
in short i love and trust you as my own soul harry ormond for i did you injustice this full return of kindness and confidence besides the present delight it gave him left a permanent and beneficial impression upon our young hero's mind the admiration he felt for o'shane's generous conduct and the self-approbation he enjoyed in consequence of his own honourable firmness had a great effect in strengthening and forming his character it also rendered him immediately more careful in his whole behaviour towards miss o'shane he was prudent till both aunt and niece felt indignant astonishment there was some young lady with whom harry had danced and walked and of whom he had without any design spoken of as a pleasing gentle girl dora recollected this praise and joining it with his present distant behaviour toward herself she was piqued and jealous and then she became what probably she would never otherwise have been quite decided in her partiality for harry ormond the proofs of this were soon so manifest that many thought and miss ophelia in particular that harry was grown stupid blind and deaf he was not stupid blind or deaf he had felt the full power of dora's personal charms and his vanity had been flattered by the preference which dora showed for him where vanity is the ruling passion young men are easily flattered into being in love with any pretty perhaps with any ugly girl who is or who affects to be in love with them but harry ormond had more tenderness of heart than vanity against the suggestions of his vanity he had struggled successfully but now his heart had a hard trial dora's spirits were failing her cheek growing pale her tone of voice was quite softened sighs would sometimes break forth persuasive sighs dora was no longer the scornful lady in rude health but the interesting invalid the victim going to be sacrificed dora's aunt talked of the necessity of advice for her niece's health great stress was laid on air and exercise and exercise on horseback dora rode every day on the horse harry ormond broke in for her the only horse she could now ride and harry understood its ways and managed it so much better than anybody else and dora was grown a coward so that it was quite necessary he should ride or walk beside her harry ormond's tenderness of heart increased his idea of the danger her personal charms became infinitely more attractive to him her defects of temper and character were forgotten and lost in his sense of pity and gratitude and the struggle of his feelings was now violent one morning our young hero rose early for he could no longer sleep and he walked out or more properly he rambled or he strolled or streamed out and he took his way no his steps were irresistibly led to his accustomed haunt by the waterside under the hawthorn bank 
and there he walked and picked daisies and threw stones into the lake and he loitered on still thinking of dora and death and of the circles in the water and again of the victim and of the sacrifice when suddenly he was roused from his reverie by a shrill whistle that seemed to come from the wood above and an instant afterwards he heard some one shouting harry ormond harry ormond here answered harry and as the shouts were repeated he recognized the voice of otara who now came whip in hand followed by his dogs running down the bank to him oh harry armand i've brought great news with me for all at corney castle but the ladies are not out of their nests and king corney's lord knows how far off not a soul or body to be had but yourself here by good luck and you shall have the first of the news and the telling of it thank you said armand and what is the news first and foremost said otara you know birds of a feather flock together white connell though except for the cock-fighting i never relished him was mighty fond of me and invited me down to connellstown where i've been with him this week you know that much i conclude harry owned he did not otara wondered how he could help knowing it but so it was we had a great cock-fight and white connell who knew none of my secrets in the feeding line was bet out and out and angry enough he was and then i offered to change birds with him and beat him with his own ginger by my superiority of feeding which he scoffed at but took up the bet ormond sighed with impatience in vain he was forced to submit and to go through the whole detail of the cock-fight the end of it was that white connell was worsted by his own bird and then mad angry was he so then continued otara to get the triumph again on his side one way or another was the thing i had the advantage of him in dogs too for he kept no hounds you know he is close and hounds lead to a gentleman-like expense but very fine horses he had i'll acknowledge and harry ormond you can't but remember the one which he could not manage the day he was out riding here with miss dora and you changed with him i remember it well said ormond ay and he has got reason to remember it now sure enough has he had a fall said ormond stopping walk on can't ye keep up and i'll tell you all regular there is king corney exclaimed ormond who just then saw him come in view come on then cried otara leaping over a ditch that was between them and running up to king corney great news for you king corney i've brought your son-in-law elect white connell is off off how out of the world clean poor fellow broke his neck with that horse he could never manage on sunday last i left him for dead sunday night found him dead monday morning came off straight with the news to you dead repeated corney and harry looking at one another heaven forbid said corney that i should heaven forbid repeated harry but but good morning to you both then said otara shake hands either way and i'll condole or congratulate to-morrow as the case may be with more particulars if required otara ran off saying he would be back again soon but he had great business to do i told the father last night 
i am no hypocrite said corney rest to the dead and all their faults white connell is out of my poor dora's way and i am free from my accursed promise then clasping his hands praised be heaven for that heaven is too good to me oh my child how unworthy white connell of her thank heaven on my knees with my whole heart thank heaven that i am not forced to the sacrifice my child my darling dora she is free harry ormond my dear boy i'm free cried o'shane embracing harry with all the warmth of paternal affection ormond returned that embrace with equal warmth and with a strong sense of gratitude but was his joy equal to o'shane's what were his feelings at this moment they were in such confusion such contradiction he could scarcely tell before he heard of white connell's death at the time when he was throwing pebbles into the lake he desired nothing so much as to be able to save dora from being sacrificed to that odious marriage he thought that if he were not bound in honour to his benefactor he should instantly make that offer of his hand and heart to dora which would at once restore her to health and happiness and fulfil the wishes of her kind generous father but now when all obstacles seemed to vanish when his rival was no more when his benefactor declared his joy at being freed from his promise when he was embraced as o'shane's son he did not feel joy he was surprised to find it but he could not now that he could marry dora now that her father expected that he should he was not clear that he wished it himself quick as obstacles vanished objections recurred faults which he had formerly seen so strongly which of late compassion had veiled from his view reappeared the softness of manner the improvement of temper caused by love might be transient as passion then her coquetry her frivolity she was not that superior kind of woman which his imagination had painted or which his judgment could approve of in a wife how was he to explain this confusion of feeling to corney leaning on his arm he walked on towards the house he saw corney smiling at his own meditations was settling the match and anticipating the joy to all he loved harry sighed and was painfully silent shoot across like an arrow to the house cried corney turning suddenly to him and giving him a kind push shoot off harry and bring dora to meet me like lightning and the poor aunt too twould be cruel else but what stops you son of my heart stay cried corney a sudden thought striking him which accounted for harry ormond's hesitation stop harry you are right and i am a fool there is black connell the twin brother oh mercy against us still maybe old connell will keep me to it still as he couldn't no more than i could foresee that when i promised dora that was not yet born it would be twins and as i said son and surely i meant the son that would be born then and twins is all as one as one they say promise fettering still 
bad off as ever maybe said cornelius his whole countenance and voice changed he sat down on a fallen tree and rested his hands on his knees what shall we do now harry with black connel he may be a very different man from white connel in every respect said ormond o'shane looked up for a moment and then interpreting his own way exclaimed that's right harry that thought is like yourself and the very thought i had myself we must make no declarations till we have cleared the point of honour not the most beautiful angel that ever took woman's beautiful form and that's the greatest temptation man can meet could tempt my harry ormond from the straight path of honour harry ormond stood at this moment abashed by praise which he did not quite deserve indeed sir said he you give me too much credit i cannot give you too much credit you are an honourable young man and i understand you through and through that was more than harry himself did corney went on talking to himself aloud black connel is abroad these great many years ever since he was a boy never saw him since a child that high an officer he is in the irish brigade now black eyes and hair that was why they called him black connel captain connel now and i heard the father say he was come to england and there was some report of his going to be married if i don't mistake cried corney turning again to harry pleasure rekindling in his eye if that should be there's hope for us still but i see you are right not to yield to the hope till we are clear my first step in honour no doubt must be across the lake this minute to the father connel of glynn but the boat is on the other side the horn is with my fishing tackle harry down yonder run for you can run horn the boat or if the horn be not there sign to the boat with your handkerchief bring it up here and i will put across before ten minutes shall be over my horse i will have down to the water's edge by the time you have got the boat up when an honourable tough job is to be done the sooner the better the horse was brought to the water's edge the boat came across corney and his horse were in and corney with his own hands on the oar pushed away from land then calling to harry he bid him wait on the shore by such an hour and he should have the first news rest on your oars you while i speak to prince harry that you may know all harry sooner than i can tell you if all be safe or as we wish it see i'll hoist my neckcloth white to the top of this oar if not the black flag or none at all shall tell you say nothing till then god bless you boy harry was glad that he had these orders for he knew that as soon as mademoiselle should be up and hear of otara's early visit with the message he said he had left at the house that he brought great news mademoiselle would soon sally forth to learn what that news might be in this conjecture ormond was not mistaken he soon heard her voice mon dieuing at the top of the bank he ducked he dived he darted through nettles and brambles and escaped seen or unseen he escaped nor stopped his flight even when out of reach of the danger as to trusting himself to meet dora's eyes twas what he dared not he hid 
and wandered up and down till near dinner-time at last o'shane's boat was seen returning but no white flag the boat rowed nearer and nearer and reached the spot where harry stood motionless ay my poor boy i knew i'd find you so said o'shane as he got ashore there's my hand you have my heart i wish i had another hand to give you but it's all over with us i fear oh my poor dora and here she is coming down the bank and the aunt oh dora you have reason to hate me to hate you sir impossible said ormond squeezing his hand strongly as he felt impossible true for her to hate who is all love and loveliness impossible too for you harry ormond who is all goodness bon dieu cried mademoiselle who was now within exclamation distance what a course we have had after you gentlemen ladies looking for gentlemen c'est ennui what is it all for i am dying with curiosity without answering mademoiselle the father and harry's eyes at the same moment were fixed on one who was some steps behind and who looked as if dying with a softer passion harry made a step forward to offer his arm but stopped short the father offered his in silence can nobody speak to me bien poli said mademoiselle if you please miss ophelia ma'am cried a hatless footman who had run after the ladies the wrong way from the house if you please ma'am will she send up dinner now oui conserve yes she will let her dish by that time she is dished we shall be in and have satisfied our curiosity i hope added she turning to her brother-in-law let us dine first said cornelius and when the cloth is removed and the waiting ears out of hearing time enough to have our talk to ourselves bien singulier ces anglois muttered mademoiselle to herself as they proceeded to the house here is a young man and the most polite of the silent company who may well be in some haste for his dinner for to my knowledge he is without his breakfast harry had no appetite for dinner but swallowed as much as mademoiselle ophelia desired a remarkably silent meal it would have been but for her happy volubility equal to all occasions at last came the long-expected words take away when all was taken away and all were gone but those who as o'shane said would too soon wish unheard what they were dying to hear he drew his daughter's chair close to him placed her so as to save her blushes and began his story by relating all that otara had said it was a sudden death shocking mademoiselle repeated several times but both she and dora recovered from the shock or from the word shocking and felt the delight of dora's being no longer a sacrifice after a general thanksgiving having been offered for her escape from the butor mademoiselle in transports was going on to say that now her niece was free to make a suitable match and she was just turning to wonder that harry ormond was not that moment at her niece's feet and dora's eyes raised slowly towards him and suddenly retracted abashed and perplexed harry indescribably 
when corney continued thus dora is not free nor am i free in honour yet nor can i give anybody freedom of tongue or heart until i know farther various exclamations of surprise and sorrow interrupted him am i never never to be free cried dora oh am not i now at liberty hear me my child said her father i feel it as you do and what is it next qu'est-ce que c'est this new obstacle what can it be said mademoiselle the father then stated sorrowfully that old connel of glynn would by no means relinquish the promise but considered it equally binding for the twin born with white connel considering both twins as coming under the promise to his son that was to be born he said he would write immediately to his son who was now in england and now tell me what kind of person is this new pretender this mr black connel cried mademoiselle of him we know nothing as yet said o'shane but i hope in heaven that the man that is coming is as different from the man that's gone as black from white harry heard dora breathe quick and quicker but she said nothing then we shall get his answer to the father's letter in eight days i count said mademoiselle and i have great hopes we shall never be troubled with him we shall know if he will come or not in eight days about that time said o'shane but sister ophelia do not nurse my child or yourself up with deceitful hopes there's not a man alive not a connel surely hearing what happiness he is heir to but would come flying over post haste so you may expect his answer in eight days dora my darling and god grant he may be no matter what he is sir i'll die before i will see him cried dora rising and bursting into tears oh my child you won't die you can't from me your father her father threw his arms round her and would have drawn her to him but she turned her face from him harry was on the other side her eyes met his and her face became covered with blushes open the window harry said o'shane who saw the conflict open the window we all want it harry opened the window and hung out of it gasping for breath she's gone the aunt has taken her off it's over for this fit said o'shane oh my child i must go through with it my boy i honour as i love you i have a great deal to say about your own affairs harry my affairs oh what affairs have i never think of me dear sir i will but can't now i am spent for this day leave out the bottle of claret for father joss and i'll get to bed i'll see nobody tell father joss i've gone to my room the next morning otara came to breakfast every person had a different question to ask him except dora who was silent corney asked what kind of man black connel was mademoiselle inquired whether he was most french or english ormond whether he was going to be married to all these questions otara pleaded ignorance except with respect to the sports of the field he had very little curiosity or intelligence a ray of hope again darted across the mind of corney 
from his knowledge of the world he thought it very probable that a young officer in the french brigade would be well contented to be heir to his brother's fortune without encumbering himself with an irish wife taken from an obscure part of the country corney therefore eagerly inquired from otara what became of white connell's property otara answered that the common cry of the country was that all white connell's profitable farms were leasehold property and upon his own life poor corney's hopes were thus frustrated he had nothing left to do for some days but to pity harry ormond to bear with the curiosity and impatience of mademoiselle and with the froward sullenness of dora till some intelligence should arrive respecting the new claimant to her destined hand End of chapter thirteen